Hi there, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who have just had a really interesting life. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how did their mentors, motivations and mistakes lead them to achieve the things that they have? Thank you so much to those of you who've been in touch since the new year. I say it every week, but I'm always thrilled that people actually listen to this podcast and find it useful. As I've mentioned a couple of times on Instagram, where you can find me at Smashing the Ceiling, messing around on stories and posting a variety of bits and pieces, the website is nearly ready. I'm hoping to launch it this week, which is very exciting for me, as the idea that I would ever be able to create a website would have been just a a complete anathema to me about a year ago. I'm a complete technophobe, and being a vet doesn't really involve any degree of IT savviness, so it's definitely a new skill that I've ticked off the list, and, and I am excited to share that with you. As I mentioned to you at the end of last week's episode, today we are starting a new series on career skills to help you in the workplace, which will be periodically slotted in amongst our fantastic guests over the next few months. This series was inspired when a friend revealed to me not so long ago that she had just negotiated a sizable pay rise after discovering that as the only female at her level, she was being paid significantly less than her male counterparts. Surprise, surprise. She was also agreeing to take on some responsibility of training a more junior member of the team and rightly felt that some sort of remuneration for this extra work and responsibility was in order. As ever, we discussed the how of it all. Clearly, my real life reflects my podcast life. How she prepared, how the meeting went and how she drove a successful outcome. After a few drinks, said friend suggested that I do a podcast about negotiation. And that got me thinking about all the other workplace dilemmas that crop up so regularly, whatever industry you're in. So today we will be talking about money and about negotiation. We've touched on the subject of money a few times before on this podcast, but talking about it, even with people you are close to, is still a fairly big taboo. Some of my girlfriends and I have broken down this stigma and talking quite openly about what we earn in relation to the job we do and the responsibility we hold has been really useful for a few of us in providing context and in some cases leverage. The confidence to ask for a pay rise or to negotiate your salary and benefits is hard but we're going to work through it step by step today and attempt to help you through. I like to break things down into sizable chunks as it helps me to remember them. So I've come up with the four P's of negotiation. And hopefully if you remember these, then you won't go far wrong. I'm not sure if this saying actually exists outside of the UK because it sounds like quite a British phrase. But you'll often hear people here using the mantra, proper prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. Does this exist outside the UK? Let me know. My natural instinct in life is to wing it, so preparation is something I have to be very disciplined about, but it is most definitely the first P of negotiation. Research shows that negotiators who are underprepared make unnecessary concessions, they overlook sources of value, and they walk away from beneficial agreements. So firstly, you need to know what your aim is, because there are a wide variety of scenarios in which you may find yourself needing to negotiate. If you're going to a new job, it might be negotiating your salary and benefits. If you're settled in a job, you might be looking for a promotion, an increase in responsibility or a pay rise. Negotiation in your position might be with clients rather than with your employer, or you might be a manager required to negotiate with those actually seeking something new. 
Whilst these are different scenarios, the underlying theme is the same. You need to know what you want. To help you with that, the key is research, because as Sir Francis Bacon once said, knowledge is power. A really persuasive argument is massively enhanced by the use of well-researched figures and statistics, and you need to have these at your fingertips. When we spoke to Laura Bartlett a few weeks ago about her appearance on Dragon's Den, she said that not having the numbers ready was a major flaw in her negotiating abilities and contributed to her unsuccessful outcome on that occasion. She's well worth a listen if you haven't already, as she learned so much for that experience and has gone on to build a hugely successful business now. Being well prepared on this front gives you the difference between, I've been here for five years now and I think I deserve a pay rise, which isn't very convincing. Why do you deserve a pay rise? Instead, you could try the 2018 pay survey by blah, 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 shows that people at my level on average earn 10% more than I do currently. And given that I increased revenues in my team by 7.8% last year, I'd like to discuss how my remuneration could better reflect my contribution to the company or something along those lines. Use the, the figures that you've got to make your case. Lots of different companies now produce salary bandings and pay gradings, so make sure you look at those and know where you are within your own company. If you know anyone else in your industry or you have a mentor and you're feeling brave, ask them what they think a suitable salary figure for you would constitute, as so often it's useful to have an external opinion on a situation. One key point on this is that regardless of what anyone else does say, although their input may be useful, you must believe in yourself and you must know your own worth. A strong negotiator is one who is prepared to walk away if they don't get what they want. So consider whether you are actually prepared to do that. You might be prepared to turn your back on a deal if you don't think the terms are right, but are you really prepared to walk away from your job if things don't go well? During your preparation, think carefully about the minimum requirements you feel you need to gain from the negotiation. At the risk of sounding a bit Brexit, because we are all fed up with that, what are your red lines? Think about them and write them down. Money may be the sole thing that you're focused on, but don't rule out bonuses or other benefits in a negotiation. What about increased responsibility or more annual leave or flexible working hours? Thinking about a range of options you wish to negotiate towards may be more helpful. This is referred to in business as a BATNA, a best alternative to a negotiated agreement. You've got a goal in mind, but what are your other options? Have a plan B or plan C or plan D if needs be. Presenting multiple options can help you appear flexible as well as assertive. This works both ways, whether you're negotiating from a position of strength or a position of relative weakness, because if you're in a strong position in a negotiation, whatever that may be, you may gain more by seeking an alternative to the initial proposal on the table. So I'll give you an example of this. A friend, let's call her Sophie, told me recently about a negotiation she was in with a very big company on behalf of a client. The big company wanted two different things from the client in order to be able to proceed with a large project and asked Sophie to negotiate a price for both services. Sophie's client wasn't particularly interested in dealing with the big boys full stop. Too much hassle. But the big boys need what the client has got and Sophie recognised this as an opportunity for her to make a significant sum of money for the client. It makes her look good and improves her chances of a good bonus. Selling it to the client is the problem. After some research, Sophie came up with an alternative deal that improved her client's situation even more. 
She split the deal. She secured a very high price for service number one that the big boys need, meaning that the clients were inclined to agree to the work being done. And service number two will now be paid for on a case-by-case basis in due course. So you've gone from one moderate overall fee that the client is a bit meh about to one initial large payment and a bunch of decent follow-up fees. The client is delighted with that as it's plenty of money in their pocket. Sophie looks great. The big boys, unfortunately for them, have fallen foul of the basic economic law of supply and demand and a shrewd negotiator with good lateral thinking. A negotiation with a successful outcome is one where both parties leave feeling happy with what they've got. Or as in the above example, where they might not feel overjoyed with the price they have paid, they are at least satisfied that they have got what they need. You can be a tough negotiator, but a fair one. The point is not to screw someone so hard that they end up feeling unhappy. Otherwise, the negotiation is not really a win for you. And your next encounter, whenever that may be, is unlikely to end well. Don't be shy though, be brave, be clever, and like Sophie, think outside the box from time to time. I'm just going to quickly touch on raising the subject of a meeting, which for some people may be a big deal in itself, and I know it's something that certainly sets my nerves jangling slightly. I would strongly suggest that you have at least considered some of the things we've just mentioned in advance of even mentioning that you would like a meeting. You may be expecting your boss to schedule a meeting for a later date, But if he or she says something like, sure, I've got five minutes now, why don't we pop into my office for a chat? Are you going to freak out because you're not prepared? You may want to consider framing the question in a particular way that directs the flow of this conversation. For example, if you're grabbing an opportunity to ask them for a chat, maybe open by saying, I don't have a lot of time now, but could we meet at some point next week as I've got a couple of things I'd like to discuss with you, rather than, oh, I'd love to meet with you at some point soon to go over a couple of things which risks them asking you to do it now. The same applies when scheduling a meeting with a client. They may request a meeting sooner than you're expecting. And if you're trying to close a deal, you may not want to delay things for too long. Are you ready in case they suggest tomorrow as a suitable time or this afternoon? Once you've set a time, the next P is practice. Practice in the mirror, practice with your partner, practice with the dog. It doesn't matter but rehearse what you are going to say and how you are going to say it. What's your opening line? It's important to consider any comebacks that might be thrown at you. So the more of those you can think of and prepare answers for, the better. A well-prepared and well-rehearsed initial speech will often cut off many of the points of comeback. And the more comfortable you are with your reasoning and your arguments, the more likely you are to have a successful outcome to the negotiation. Bear in mind that things may not go well, This will happen to you and it's normal. So practice the scenario in which you're at a dead end and need to move the conversation on. Linked with this is practicing the body language that you display during the meeting. Now, body language has been done somewhat to death over the years, but it is important. I'm a firm believer that you need to be in your comfort zone in a negotiation because Lord knows you have got enough else to think about. Should you sit back in your chair with your arms crossed looking super defensive? No, of course not, because that does convey a bad message. But just try to relax if you can with open body language and be yourself. I'm one of those people who talks with my hands and I do use them quite a lot when I'm speaking. My husband often laughs at me for waving my fork around at dinner when I'm making a wildly important point. But whilst I might tone it down in meetings, I don't go mad trying to suppress this. 
I'm not saying that I'm sitting there crazily windmilling my arms around, but using my hands is who I am and how I am normally. And I am comfortable with that. Contrary to the usual advice, I do also cross my legs, mainly because I find it really hard to sit primly with my ankles crossed like Kate Middleton or Meghan Markle. I would be so bad in the royal family. It's a good job I haven't married a prince, I guess. So I would rather have my legs crossed than risk sitting with them open because that is a bad look. Similarly, when you research negotiation techniques, there's a lot of literature about dressing for a negotiation. Be smart and be comfortable would be my only advice. Really, dress however the hell you like. So there's quite a lot there on preparation and practice, but these are key to securing a successful outcome to a negotiation. Next comes positivity. The old advice of keeping a poker face in a negotiation is kind of bullshit, to be honest. You may want to keep your cards close to your chest on figures, but what you say and the tone in which you say it can go a long way to creating a good atmosphere at the opening of the meeting. Using positivity in a negotiation, rather than just leaping in with your demands, can help to frame things as more of a cooperative effort than a one-way list of requests, and really helps to prevent any hostility on the part of the people that you're negotiating with. Opening the conversation by mentioning that you'd like to work together to reach the best possible outcome or thanking them for their time and for agreeing to meet with you all creates a positive feel. Remember to smile because whilst you don't want to be forced, smiling will make any meeting more cheerful and make people more receptive to what you're saying. Positivity promotes creative thinking, it is said. It inspires problem solving in the room and it encourages cooperation. There's some slightly cheesy but very useful videos on this on Sheryl Sandberg's website, Lean In, so I'll put the link to that on the show notes. Another positive move can be making the first offer in a negotiation. Again, this goes against the accepted wisdom never to move first, but research has shown that in an initial salary negotiation, job seekers who make the first offer reach a final salary agreement that is on average 30% higher than those that wait. 30%. This was only one study, but that is a lot. So why don't people make the first move? You may not want to look too demanding or assertive or combative or overconfident or any of the other traits that women have to be so careful to avoid in the workplace for fear of being branded difficult. Emily Amantulla, an assistant professor whose research looks at how gender stereotypes influence negotiation processes and outcomes, explained this on NPR radio by saying, when women advocate for themselves, they have to navigate more than a higher salary. They're managing their reputation too. Women worry that pushing for more money will damage their image. And research shows that they're right to be concerned. Both male and female managers are less likely to want to work with women who negotiate during a job interview. Well, that's a bit depressing, isn't it? (laughs) It's a lot easier said than done, but I don't think we should be put off by that. Just because that is the way that things always have been and maybe are now doesn't mean that that is how things are always going to be. And the advice from a lot of successful women on this point is that really you should start as you mean to go on. So take the initiative. If this is a salary negotiation and the company you're going to can't cope with a woman who knows her own mind and knows what she wants, then that is probably not going to be a healthy and rewarding workplace for you in the longer term. A few years ago, I was caught out in a salary negotiation and this did teach me a lot. I hadn't really considered a figure when I took the call from my new boss and they offered me the job. 
I was completely unprepared as I had naively thought that we would have another meeting to discuss this and other terms. Instead, they asked me point blank what I currently earned and I was completely taken aback. I did inflate the figure somewhat, although to no way near what I thought I could earn. The offer was made at slightly above that and somehow, without me really knowing what had happened, a figure was decided. I felt completely out of control in the situation and the fact that there had been no pushback whatsoever told me that I could have gone a lot higher. It was such a lesson. So a real take home from this is to aim high. It is well proven that men ask for more money than women and they get it too. So the best place to start is by asking for an amount that is higher than your ideal pay. The more you ask for, the more likely it is that your offer will be rejected the first time and you should probably get used to that. But it's much easier to come down from a high goal than it is to climb your way up from way down low. Just a little side note here. One other technique that Sandberg recommends to avoid being seen as bossy or pushy is what she calls communal negotiating. She doesn't like this, but she recognizes what Emily was saying about how women who push are perceived. And I think it is a valid technique to consider. You frame your requests as serving some larger good beyond yourself, which can make women appear more communal. How will what you ask for improve your performance? How will it improve the outcomes of your team or the wider company? If you think your negotiation will be with a particularly difficult opposite number, this definitely might be worth some consideration. If you've got a really sympathetic boss who already thinks that you're great, then things might be a little easier to just ask for what you want in the first place. The final P we are going to talk about is persistence. My granny used to say to me, try, try and try again in life. You will make mistakes and that is okay. I'm going to say that again. You will make mistakes and that is okay. Everybody does. One day you might be overly confident, one day you might be a shrinking violet, another you might not just push hard enough. Some mistakes can be mitigated by preparation and practice, but the reality is that you may not succeed in getting what you want the first time around. That happens, you've asked and you're on the road, at least. If you're, ask, if you're after a pay rise and it is outright refused, then try asking again in six months. Be persistent. If you think you deserve a pay rise and you've got strong, tangible reasons to back your case, then stick at it. I mentioned in the preparation section that knowing your market value is a helpful negotiating tactic. And another friend recently negotiated a pay rise by flirting with some recruiters that were trying to poach her, getting an idea of what she could be paid and raising that with her boss. That was her third time of asking. And it was only when her boss finally understood that there would have to be some movement to keep his very excellent employee that he relented. Said friend didn't really want to leave her job and she probably would have stayed even if he'd said no again as she actually really liked what she was doing. But she got what she want by persisting and by playing a little hardball. Requesting regular reviews to assess your progress helps to emphasize the good work that you're doing and to showcase your value both to your boss and to the company as a whole. Negotiations also sometimes fail due to the behavior or personalities of those involved. And at times in your career, you will probably have to negotiate with some pretty difficult people. And if things aren't going well, and there will be times when they don't, then just remain as calm as you can. Don't take it personally, which is super rich coming from me as I take that sort of thing incredibly personally, but hey-ho, and try to remain focused on your end goal. Don't forget to breathe as well. 
it is well known that your breathing becomes short and tight in stressful moments. So if you're feeling the pressure, then just take a couple of deep breaths. And if things get really tough, don't be afraid to ask for a break in the meeting in order to collect your thoughts and reconsider your position. This can be very powerful in giving you the time and space to think rather than making a decision under pressure when you're feeling stressed. The break might be 10 minutes or you might want to come back to it another day. Framing it positively and saying that you want to work towards a solution that works for you both allows you to re-prepare both practically and mentally. Do a little more research to strengthen your argument if required and go back in feeling refreshed and ready. Remember, you have every right to be there and every right to ask for what you want. The worst that anyone can say in a negotiation is no. And breaking it down to that can make things seem a little easier. It's just one word. Remember the four Ps, preparation, practice, positivity, and persistence, and be brave. If one of your career goals for 2019 was to negotiate a pay rise or secure a big deal, then go for it. And when you do, let me know how you get on. So that is all for this time. Next week's guest is a master of many career skills, and I'm sure she is probably a brilliant negotiator. Her name is Anna Lundberg, and she will be telling us about how she left a six-figure job to pursue a career that she really loved. Anna is such an inspiring woman with loads of insight and knowledge, and I'm really looking forward to sharing that with you. As ever, if you've got any comments, suggestions, or feedback, then do drop me a line. I love to hear from you. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts if you haven't already and feel free to leave us a nice review on your favorite site as it helps others to find us. More importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing The Ceiling and we'll hopefully see you next week.